Listen, I, I wanted to encourage you guys. Um, what God is doing uh, is, is, is such a special move of the Lord, and we're experiencing a lot of that. And today, as we look at uh, Luke 11, um, my prayer is that we understand uh, that, that God, God actually wants to revive us. Did you know that? Did you know God wants to move in your life? And did you know he's actually invited you to step into that flow and exactly what she's talking about? Uh, you don't got to beat down the door of God and beg him to show up, actually. He actually desires to. If we step in and do simply step into what he's called you to do, uh, he will begin to show up and do what he does. And let's look at Luke 11 as we do. Think about these things. I'm going to start in verse 5 and then uh, continue to verse 13. And then we'll backtrack a little bit. You got it? Say, I got it? Come on, let's go. Scripture says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine who's arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me, the door is now shut and my children are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you're going to find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For whoever asks, receives. I love the word whoever. Whoever. Ask any of us. Whoever asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. Then he asks another question. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? That's kind of a weird example for today, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you, then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's two discoveries that I believe in my studies I've read that. Maybe you've read this many times. My prayer is that the Lord opens our eyes to see what this passage is really saying. Because this passage, uh, when I read it for many years of my life, I thought, I've just got to annoy the heck out of God and finally he's going to open a door for me when he's hacked off enough and just irritated enough with Jay and he's like well finally we'll show up with this guy because he's just annoying me you know but there's two discoveries that I want to talk about today that this passage is not actually about the one who is asking for bread the second thing is this parable is not actually about persistence if you want to know God not know about him, I want to invite you into how to experience God today. The word is prayer. I've talked to some of you guys who are beginning to step in as you have had an encounter in this room. There's a confidence that's risen in you and you start talking to the Lord and you find out that every day is a scavenger hunt. It's not a list or demands, you know what I mean? Like it's a discovery that God's got you on and it's a joy. I mean, what kind of life is this where we have access to the king right now and he wants to show up in our lives? He wants to use you. 
today, right now, that adventure some of you guys are experiencing and seeing, and you're seeing that God shows up when you pray, let's pray. And then now what y'all are talking to me about, which is super cool, and we'll have more stories each week, but you're not talking about information about God. You're talking about the revelation of God. You've been invited into an experience. This is for whoever. So I want to encourage you, any of y'all, every one of us, is meant to, allowed to, step into the flow of God. You will experience him, not just know facts about him. It's available. So let's understand what this passage is actually talking about when he's talking about prayer. Right above where Jesus tells this story, the section right above, verses 1 through uh, 5, he talks about this. It says, uh, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them this, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, so this is not my focus, it'll be the story. He said this to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Means be, may you be separate. May you be seen as separate. We recognize you as different. Your kingdom come. That's exactly what Ms. Donna was saying. It's not about my kingdom, it's about yours. Give us each day our daily bread, so supply all that I need. Forgive me of my sins, as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now listen, that prayer don't sound much like you beating down any door. You know what I mean? It just don't sound like, oh God, please, please forgive me, please forgive me. I, I just don't know if you'll actually forgive me, but I'm going to beg you till I feel something. You'll forgive me. That's not what Jesus models for us. In fact, that's really the opposite when he teaches about prayer. He says, hey, listen, don't, don't use repetitive words. Listen, God knows what you need already. You can trust that he hears you and expect him. Now receive from him what he promised you would receive. You now step into obedience. Now what's he called you into? Based upon that, expect him to show up. Watch, many of us are seeing that he shows up, aren't we? Come on now. Thank you, King. Like, thank you, Jesus. It's not for 2,000 years ago. It's for today. But many of us don't experience because we're not actually stepping in. And I want to encourage you, this is the first step of stepping in. Pray. And because of what Jesus earned for you, we can enter boldly to the throne room of heaven today and we can talk to the king of heaven. Not because of what you have done so that no, none of us can boast before the king today, say amen. Hey God, I've been doing it really good this week so you're gonna hear me extra better right now, you know? It's, it's, it's not as much that. His mercy is brand new every single day. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, then guess what? You're gonna enter bold, you're dad, let's go. Dad, I'm here. And I want to see you do that. I, I want to be a part of what you're, you're doing. And when a kid enters the room, um, I recognize dad understands a lot more than I do. You know what I mean? And so when I simply go, hey, dad, what do you want to do today? You got a better idea than I do. I'm open to step into your work. I promise you that's in the moment where God begins to step in and begin to do what he does. But he's invited each one of us the disciples, I want to I remember this. The disciples are not coming to Jesus saying, hey, would you teach me how to, how to speak like you? Would, you? would you teach me how to heal people? Like, I really want to be a big deal. I think they recognize something very unique about Jesus. 
See, when Jesus had finished praying, they recognized there's some, there's some kind of thing, that they, there's something here, because it's a rhythm of Jesus' life. Would you teach us what you're doing? They recognize that there's a power behind what he's doing, and this is something they don't know. Teach us what this is. So today, my prayer is as we look at this, we'll understand prayer. Because when they say, teach us, this is what Jesus taught. So what is he teaching about prayer that we all need to understand today? With this in mind, think about this. They ask him how to pray. He tells them how to pray. And then the story I read in the beginning is how he gives example of this prayer. How does he start? Today I want to share four observations with you about this passage. The first observation that I want us to recognize as we step in and understand what he's saying, when the disciples say, teach us how to pray, he walks through, he says, he says a question. He gives a question. And here's the question of verse 5 through 7. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed and I cannot give you anything. Do you notice the question mark there? I've never carried the question all the way through. Have you? I always paused. Which, when, when he tells the story and he starts going into his response, I take away the question mark, don't you? And so I've always read this passage like the guy comes to the door and he's, he's begging God to, to, or begging the guy to help him. But it's a question. Can you imagine this is what he's saying? Can you imagine this scenario? Uh, yes, we can, right? Y'all can. Uh, and here's what me and you were thinking. If somebody comes to my house at midnight, I'm going to say, bro, you done lost your ever-loving mind, right? Go to bed we're going to talk in the morning when it's a better hour of the day, you know? If I come down to your house and I'm knocking at midnight and I say, hey, listen, i got a friend coming in. Can you just take me down to Kroger real quick? We just go do a little grocery shopping. You're going to be like, Jay, you lost it, okay? And you're probably right, by the way. But Jesus is asking a group of people, can you imagine going to your neighbor's house, knocking on the door, and the guy saying, hey, listen, we're all asleep. We don't have time for this. The second observation I want to share today and helps us understand this passage is you have to understand a cultural mindset that's very, very different than Western culture here. Um, I'll say it like this. I went to Morocco a few years ago <laughs> and I'll never, go into, I'll never forget going to Morocco and uh, they were taking us to this very remote village and I mean, the drive is hours long through these mountains of Morocco. And I'm, I'm talking like, it's the most terrifying thing I've ever done. There's no guardrails and they're like dirt cliffs. I mean, if you go off and the drivers there are absolute nuts. And so you're just going pray like, Lord, if I go, I go today, you know. But it's getting late and we're on these back roads and, you know, they're driving crazy and it's giving me, I'm getting stressed, you know. And we roll up to this town, and I'm exhausted, and I'm mean, super late at night. And I'll never forget rolling up in this town, and it's like the whole town stayed awake, you know. And they all wanted to see the people, the visitors that they had heard were coming to their town. 
And so what happens when we get out of the car, they, they start wanting to throw a party. I mean, they're asking us, you want tea? We're going to come to your house. And they start piling in the house. They start cooking all the food. They're, and I'm like, listen, I just want to go to bed. The best way you can serve me right now, like, let me go to sleep. But they were all so concerned about my experience there that they wanted to make sure I had everything I could ever imagine and far more. In these cultures, there's two things that a culture is based on there, and it's, it's uh, shame and honor. Shame and honor. So if you travel to the Middle East or many, many other continents, you'll understand that Western culture is very different than other cultures, but there's a shame and honor mentality. And, and the reason that that town came out to see us was that they wanted to bring honor on their town. They wanted to show, they wanted me to find them favorable. I am their guest. And so what I uh, thought of them and their hospitality would either bring shame or honor on their town. So they all came together to throw a party for these visitors coming in and they didn't care what time of night. So here's the deal. When Jesus asked this question to them and says, can you imagine somebody knocking on your door and they're going to have a guest show up at their house and they say, we don't got any food. Can you imagine somebody saying, listen, it's late. I need you to go back to bed. I'm going to tell you, we would all say, yeah, and that would be terrible. And they're all going, we cannot imagine that. That would be crazy. The same thing happened to me when I went to India. And it helped me understand this passage even more. When I went to India, very same uh, cultural mindset. We go to something like a village, but it's like a neighborhood almost. In the neighborhood, they would have a leader of their neighborhood. And I distinctly remember uh, after we'd go into one house, the children would run out of the room and they'd run down the street and they would tell everyone. Everyone would begin coming out of their house and walking to the place where we were. By the end of your stay, by the end of the day, there is a town leader. And a town leader would actually come and find you, bring you to the center of their town. They put a cot down or like a little bed and was like, sit here, you guest of honor, like sit, sit. And everyone in their neighborhood, which is like a couple hundred people, would surround this little bed and they would just bring gifts and stuff. But the leader of the town would sit next to you and ask you questions about what you thought of their town. They have a tribe mentality, not an individualistic mentality. See here, it's every man for himself, may the best man win, you know? It really is, there's a lot of that. And so a lot of us feel alone, and that's why the church is so important. We're a very different culture here. Uh, we, we, we think of ourselves as what the scripture says, is a body and every person here actually has a, a function. And so if you've never heard that, I want to encourage you to step in and discover what God designed you to be in the community of believers. We were never meant to be rogue believers. Did you know that? We were supposed to be together, doing this together. And did you know I can't do this as effectively without you? And you can't do it as effectively without me? And we need each other? And you're gifted. This thing is not about a guy with a mic. Believe it. But they have a tribe mentality. And so... What, what happened was, based upon what everyone did in this town, it either, according fr from me, brought honor or shame upon their entire town. 
This is the exact mentality. When Jesus asked this story about prayer, they would greatly understand that it would be absolute ridiculousness for somebody to come to my neighbor's house and the neighbor to say, I cannot help you. Because it would bring great shame upon the community. The disciple said, can't imagine that. And neither could Jesus. So that's why he, he asked, this, or asked the question, which of you who has a friend would go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to get set before him. I don't have anything. He's going he's gonna to get up and he's going to do something about it. The third observation that I want to share today is the word in verse 8. In verse 8. It says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Some of your translations will say persistence. But this word, it's like, say when we think about translations, it's like this. Uh, words take on a different meaning as time goes on. Uh, I, I don't know if we, we might still use the word cool. But uh, when, you, when you walk into a room and you're like, oh, this is cool. It's cool. It's cool in here. Some of you might think, oh, it's kind of chilly. Some of you be like, I like the atmosphere, right? It's the exact same thing as we look at translations. But when this, when this is translated, when the Europeans translate this into English, the word they have for that Greek word, enidian, is in verse 8. They, they translate it as persistence, but Earlier Greek, the very earliest Greek, actually says that this word means to sh is shamelessness. Shamelessness. So what does that mean, shamelessness? And I think as I understand the word shamelessness, this passage begins to take on a very different understanding for me. And it brings great clarity in prayer, or for prayer. Shamelessness means it's not, it's not talking about if you, if you don't have any shame, um, then you don't feel any guilt or you don't feel the heaviness. Shamelessness is, is simply means this. It's the sense of avoiding shame. It's in a positive light, actually. It's the avoidance of shame. All right, Jay, what do you mean? Here's the fourth observation, all right? So it's coming, it's coming. I want you to think about uh, the clause. There's, there's six clauses where it begins to talk about we can put those up on the screen. I want to read these to you guys. And it's talking about, in this passage, when you read it, it's talking about the guy who's inside the house, right? But then all of a sudden, it, it shifts, and you think it's talking about the guy outside the door being persistent, right? But I want you to think about this for a second. Clause number one. Even though he will not get up, who's that talking about? The subject is the guy inside the house, correct? And he won't give him anything, the guy inside the house. Three, because, but because, he is, because he's his friend. He's talking about the guy inside the house. And then we go to four. Yet because of his anodian or his shamelessness, his avoidance of shame, then we all of a sudden want to shift the narrative and we want to talk about the guy outside the door. Then the fifth clause. But he will get up. The subject of clause five is the guy inside the house again. And six, and give him as much as he needs. Each clause is talking about the man inside the house. 
When Jesus is teaching about prayer, he is not talking about the guy who's coming uh, to, to the house. He says, I need you to understand something about the one to whom you have come. And so if we understand the one to whom we have come, it will transform the way that we actually pray and expect. See, some of us expect that God is not listening because you haven't tried hard enough in prayer. I'm telling you what, there is no effort of your own that you have any right to come to the king today. So what makes you think you have to earn God's favor for him to finally stand up? Honestly, if I read this passage in that way, I say, heck, I don't really want to pray, and God's kind of a jerk. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I get he can do whatever he wants, but seriously, like, I'm asking for something that you told me to ask for, and i got to bang this door down, and when you get irritated enough, you're going to get up and, I guess, answer me? That's not in the character of God at all. And he displays that on a cross because it's his great joy to come to this world to set you and I free. It's his joy to display his goodness and his righteousness before you. It's his joy to give you his love. And many of us, we've read this passage maybe a little bit out of context and thought, well, I guess I just got to keep banging the door down and God ain't listening, so... But he wants us to understand that this passage is about the man inside the house. The father always acts in a way that's going to honor his name. Did you know that? God is always going to honor his own name. Moses understood this when he said, I, I am, when, when God met him and said, I am. He understood this to mean when God says, hey, I want you to go down to Pharaoh God was saying, hey, I'm going to be with you through it all. I'm with you. And I'm telling you to go down there and I will put my name on it. (laughs) Just tell him, I am sent you. I'm with you. Let's go do this. I'm about to show up. Moses also continued to understand this in Exodus 32. When, do you remember the part of the story where Israel has just gone their own way and God's like, you know what? I'm about to just wreck them all. I'm, all, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to smite everybody. And Moses looks or, or calls out to God and says, what will the Egyptians think when you do such a thing? What will they think of you? I mean, you set them free and then you're going to just wipe them all out? And the, the passage in, in Exodus 32 is honestly pretty baffling, but it says that God changed his mind because of that, because of his namesake. Psalm 2511, uh, David understood this, and he says, For your namesake, Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Did you know if, if you need forgiveness today, uh, it, it's God saying, I'm going to put my name on it, that I'm going to forgive you. My name is at stake. I will answer you for my namesake. And I said I would do it, so I'm about to do it. Expect me. Psalm 23.3 says something similar. He says, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. What? For his name's sake. I'm telling you, God has put his name on it. It's God's name at stake. And man, listen, if God has put his name at stake by saying, hey, here's what I want you to go do. I want you to go reach people. I want you to go give away my good news and I'm going to be with you forever. He's put his name on it. My fear is he's lying. Anybody else with me? (laughs) My fear is that he just won't show up this time. And here's what I'm finding. Here's what I'm discovering personally. As I step in 
in the way that God has called me to step in, God shows up and meets people right there, right now. Life, life transformation is available right now. And you say, no, listen, hold on. It's a process. And I want to tell you, anybody who receives the good news is set free right now. Boom. Right now. New creation, right now. And when you share good news, and listen to me, here's the good news. You can't earn a thing from God. You can't do it good enough. You can't do it. And if you try to earn favor in the sight of God, uh, you've created a God out of yourself and you need to turn back to Jesus. And you need to remember the one who set you free, he accomplished and finished all of the work. Now step into what he's called you. Step in. And I enter boldly, not because of what I've earned today, but because of what Jesus earned for me. Come on now, that's good news. When you tell people that good news for the first time, the weight of the world is then shed off of them because there is no freedom apart from this person who's earned favor for them. Listen, you know your guilt as good as I know mine. And if we all honest in the room, we all understand that I have no right to come to God today. And if it's up to me, then I'm doomed. I'm going to be straight up honest with y'all. If it's up to me today to enter in with favor and earn it, I am doomed. And I'm going to tell you, so are you. (laughs) I can't earn it. But here's the promise, and I've received it. The good news is that he earned it for me. And then says, I will impart to you perfection. This is earned on a cross, paid in full. His name is Jesus. When you come to him, he will impart to you this favor. It can be yours. Do you need favor today? Do you need forgiveness today? Do you need to be set free today? Step in and receive forgiveness that was earned for you at the cross. And then from that place, what is given to you freely, extend what you receive to everybody else and then watch God move through you. That's it. That's the progression. But some of us want to give away something that we don't have. And you can't give away any power unless you receive power. And power must come upon you from on high. You must receive good news first. You can't conjure this up. You can't work hard enough. Every day you must draw from the love of God to give away love in any way. Or else you will fix people's behavior, but you will never touch their heart. The heart, the heart matter, the transformation on the inside is a spirit work. Only the King of Heaven can do it. Some of us need a heart transformation. You need a heart transplant. How do you transplant a heart? I can fix your behavior for a minute, but you must come to the King of Heaven to have a heart transplant. And upon the heart transplant, then you will have a different response. You'll begin to work and live differently. Oh, you will want to forgive because you've freely been forgiven. Do you see that? It's a response. But Ezekiel 36 is is no different. Ezekiel talks about Israel being brought back from captivity and the Lord says, I'm going to restore you and I'm going to cleanse you and I will free you. Why? I'm going to do all these things for my name's sake. It's about me. I'm going to prove myself to you. Which makes the whole passage begin to make sense now. As we get into verse 9, and I tell you, ask, it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Now, because of what he has done for us, the door will be opened. 
Receive and find, you must understand this, the words receive and find are present tense. That means as you are asking, as you are knocking, you will be finding. Some of you are understanding this more because you're stepping into it. You will discover more as you ask more. So ask him. Ask him to give you his eyes to see your opportunities. I promise you're gonna see him. I promise you. Because his name's at stake. And he says, I'm going to show up when you ask, present tense, all day long. I'm gonna speak to you. Expect me. Now step into the flow. Mother Teresa says it like this, when we pray, we're expanding our capacity to receive. And I love that. As we pray, we're expanding our capacity to actually receive. If you desire to receive an experience, it starts with communication with the King of Heaven. The only way um, for this to take place and for you to have full right to have communication available is through what Jesus did for you. Receive this every day and expect to enter the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus did. Receive what though? To receive what? This passage says, he will give to you the Holy Spirit. But you say, but what are, what are they asking for? It doesn't say that they're actually asking for the Holy Spirit. It says they're asking. But here's, here's, you have to understand this. You have to understand that this is the grace of God, that this is actually how he responds. He sends you the helper to accomplish what he desires to accomplish in and through your life. The helper is sent. So now the spirit of the living God is with you. And now he begins to take what you might think is weak as what Jim was saying, what you might think is small, he's gonna transform and it becomes something that does, something you can't even imagine. So your prayers are inadequate, I promise you. If we under, understand the king, then your prayers don't have the capacity to be big enough unless you say, Lord, your will be done, <laughs> I'm open. And then you can step into the flow. But you gotta be willing to say, God, you know best. Give me eyes to see and a heart to respond, and I'm dependent upon you to give my neighbor something because I don't have it. There's the key. I don't have what it takes to supply my neighbor's need. That's also important about this story. Do you have what it takes to give your neighbor what they need? I wanna invite you into even more, into expecting more. You do not. Do you want what can transform their life? Would you invite the Spirit of God to speak to you, to give you that? Because you need it. And He will give it to you because you were asking, it is yours. In Jesus' name, through Christ, He's gonna do this. Through Jesus, that's why it's good news. Now, step into the experience. Anybody wanna experience? Anybody, anybody wanna experience the King? I don't wanna talk about the King 2,000 years ago. Come on now, I don't wanna talk about it. I wanna talk about it today. And I want to tell you, it's available today. Would you step in today? I want to conclude with this. As the helper sent, here's what happened. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be what? My witnesses. This is what begins to happen. When he comes upon you to do work, it transforms your life. And the Father, the Father will get up and give you as much as you need. Listen to me, the Father, when you knock, ask, seek, knock, He says, I'm gonna get up, and I'm gonna give you everything you need. That's what this pastor is talking about. Now step in and ask, what do you need God to do today? What do you need God to do today? What do you need Him to do this week? Some of us, if we're honest, we say, well, nothing. 
Yep. Would you ask him what he wants to do this week? I think it's more than you could think or imagine. Would you invite him to do the more? Come on now. Ooh. What do you need him to do this week? Maybe you need a bigger vision. Would you ask him to give you his vision? The helper's going to come and he's going to speak to you and he's going to send you. What do you need him to do this week? I just want to bow right now and I just want to ask, what do you, what do you want him to do this week? I don't want to have a time with him. Let's ask him, what, what do you want to do this week? I can't promise you Alexis. I can't promise you the Bahamas. What of God do you need today for yourself, for your family, for your ministry? What of God do you need to make a difference in the world? What of Him? And listen, He has shamelessness and He will get up and give you as much of Himself as you need. What do you need? Knock on the door. Ask Him.